You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Misfit, Sean, DJ Jesus 72, Lee, David, Torso and Pinches, Matt, the Snarlin' Sea Dog, Hangman Strain, John, Sir Rancid Cheese, Shelby, Andrew, Axios, Vanderwood, Richard, Noah, Infamous Florida Man, Hartman, Skipper, The Sextant, Brian, Cap'n Crunch, Roger the Jolly, Vibran, Artemis Killmeister, Keelhaw Chris, Carcos, Sean, Rotary Coast, M.D., Seth, Ghost750X, Lost Again, The Navigator, Vasios, Doc Lindsay, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rumrunner, Madam Anita Sparrow, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, The Snarlin' Sea Dog, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. Last time, we left off after the attack on the plantation owned by Ert von Thul. In a very real sense, the attack on von Thul's plantation marks the beginning of the end for this era of the Pirates of the Round. Not because, you know, this was the last straw and the Navy was coming, but because they made so much money from it. A lot of the pirates who had been active these past couple of years decided it was a good time to retire. And as we know, there's really never any real end to the Red Sea men. I mean, this week, as I'm writing this, we've seen a spate of attacks at the mouth of the Red Sea and in the Gulf of Aden. Some of those attacks were perpetrated by good old-fashioned Somali pirates. Most of them, though, were perpetrated by the Houthis. A, a super-radical Islamist sect based in Yemen. I wrote out a whole thing comparing the Houthis to pirates, you know, a pros and cons list, but it took up a lot of valuable real estate in an episode that was already getting a bit too long, so I cut that out. Suffice it to say, the conclusion I came to was that they're not pirates, but they're not not pirates. They're not a nationally-based organization, unless you count the funding they get from Iran, and while they're not 
exactly enemies of all mankind, they're enemies of almost all mankind. Regardless, though, piracy has been a problem in the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea since the dawn of recorded history, and it's probably going to continue to be a problem until we st stop using ships. But this era of piracy in the pirate round, peg legs and eye patches, rum, flintlock pistols, and a surprising number of parrots, well, that's an era that began with Thomas II back in 1693. And today, we're going to begin our look at the end of that era. This is episode 334, Defiant. When we left off, the Prosperous, under Captain Thomas Howard, and a sloop under Captain Thomas White, had just escaped Ert von Tool's plantation. They had escaped mostly unscathed. There were a few men injured, including Captain Howard, but some of those who had been injured had to be left behind, and we know of at least two of these men. Thomas Collins and David Williams were left behind, and they were both captured, imprisoned, and enslaved by Ert von Tool. And for now, that's where we're going to leave them. Eventually, they'll escape, and Woods Rogers is actually going to encounter them at St. Mary's, but that's still almost a decade away. Once Captains Howard and White were well away from the plantation, it was time to divide the plunder, and considering that Thomas White had intervened at that perfect moment and engaged in battle with that ship under the command of one of Von Toole's men, they split the plunder evenly. And some of the men, now that they had sea chests full of silver and gold, decided that this was a good time to retire. The numbers worked out that about enough pirates that wanted to retire could fill up the sloop under Captain White, who also wanted to do so and the number of pirates who wanted to continue on their life of piracy could fill up the Prosperous. So those who wanted to retire sailed with Captain White to the coast of Madagascar, where they settled down, married Malagasy women, and started families. And that's where we're going to leave them. Until, that is, John Halsey comes calling in about five years' time. Captain Nathaniel North was still just kind of relaxing at his base, enjoying life on Madagascar, and he would do so until John Halsey comes calling in about five years' time. Which leaves us with only two names we need to talk about today. This last gasp of the Pirates of the Round involved Thomas Howard in The Prosperous and John Bowen in The Speedy Return. The men of the Prosperous, under Thomas Howard, needed to sell the cargo they had stolen from Van Tool, and they decided to do so at Methelage. And I've got to tell you, you guys, I finally figured out where Methelage actually was. I have spent way more time than I would like to admit delving the depths of Google search results and DuckDuckGo, and I even got so desperate I used Bing. But then, eventually, just a few days ago, there it was. I found a French translation of the pirate's own book. And I only found it because I got so desperate I started spelling methylage in all these different weird ways until this popped up. 
Methylage, as it's called in A General History of the Pirates, Volume 2, was actually a port city in the Mahajanga region of northwest Madagascar called Melazagam Nova. Melazagam Nova was a hugely important trading post founded back in the early 17th century by a bunch of Swahili colonists. But then, in the early 1690s, it was conquered by a Malagasy king. He did so with a pretty huge army, but he was also bolstered by a few dozen Anglo-American sailors from New York. Now, I don't know who these men were, and I can't be sure that they were pirates, but, I mean, come on. If you were an Anglo-American sailor from New York in Madagascar in the early 1690s, I mean, it might have been Thomas too. Melazagam Nova was a port known for buying pirated goods and selling things like coffee, tortoise shell, and slaves. But the important bit here is that it was kind of neutral ground. The Malagasy there were happy to welcome in French, Dutch, English, and Portuguese traders. They were all welcome, but the king was also unwilling to put up with any kind of shenanigans in his port. They could come in, trade peacefully, but if they got up to any funny business, he would, you know, kill everyone. Which he could do pretty easily. This was not some ramshackle affair. He had a fortress built of wood and stone with a bunch of big guns atop the wall. And he had a proper harbor, you know, a dock. It was an excellent place to go for supplies and repairs, if you so needed. But it was that French presence that caused me so much trouble. The French name for the place was Massaliege, which Captain Charles Johnson decided to translate as Methalage. Regardless, that's where Thomas Howard went to sell his pirated cargo and to resupply the Prosperous. When the Prosperous arrived at Massaliege, they found a Dutch ship already there in the harbor. It was a powerful merchantman of 40 guns. Now, the pirates may have been able to defeat a ship like that in a fair fight, but they would certainly lose men and damage their ship. And, I mean, who wants to have a fair fight? They were pirates. So instead of cannonballs, the two ships shared hard words. It started out with pretty cordial threats being tossed back and forth that grew less and less cordial, until the captain, who was not the kind of man to suffer pirates, said, quote, He threatened to fall foul on him, Howard, if he did not leave the place, which Howard thought to do, and sailed to Mayota. End quote. Thomas Howard and the men of the Prosperous decided this was not worth a fight, so they left and headed off to Mayotte, just to the northwest. The reason that that Dutch captain had decided he wasn't going to suffer any pirates in his presence was that the Dutch were there to careen their vessel. They had unloaded all of their cargo onto the shore. The men were able to, you know, scrape the bottom and make basic repairs, but that put this Dutch vessel in a precarious position. The captain was smart enough, though, to leave his guns on board, just in case a pirate came a-calling. The Dutch crew continued to work on their vessel until 
just a few days later, another suspicious ship arrived there at the port. The captain pulled out his spyglass, took a long, hard look at the newcomer, and decided that he didn't like the looks of this ship either. However, as this new vessel approached, she hailed the Dutchman with a complement of fifteen guns. Just powder, no cannonballs, but a, a proper greeting for when one ship encounters another in port. The Dutch captain responded with his own salute, accompanied by, quote, drums beating and trumpets sounding, end quote. Whoever this ship might belong to, at least they were polite enough to observe the proper forms, so the captain decided to give them a fair shake. When the newcomer pulled up to the dock, the Dutch captain hailed her, asking, From whence are you come? And the stranger responded, From the sea. They were pirates. But they were at least polite pirates. Certainly more polite than that rapscallion a few days past, so the Dutch captain invited the pirates to send a boat over for a proper introduction. And they did. A rough-looking man climbed aboard the Dutch vessel and introduced himself. He was the quartermaster of this newcomer, called the Speedy Return, under Captain John Bowen. Now, I don't actually know who this quartermaster was at this point in Bowen's career. According to one reading of a general history, it might have been Nathaniel North, if we assume that most of the chapter on Captain North is fiction. Nonetheless, the quartermaster informed the Dutchman that the pirates had no design on his ship. They were planning to sail against the Moors in the Red Sea, and they were here merely for supplies. The Dutch captain was polite, cordial, but he informed the quartermaster that there were no supplies here for the likes of pirates. See, the Dutch had that makeshift factory holding all of their goods on shore, so, you know, technically, they had dibs. He informed the quartermaster that they would do well to look elsewhere for supplies. The quartermaster, understood, thanked the Dutchman for his advice and departed in his boat, back to the speedy return. At this point, the Dutch waited patiently for the pirates to depart, but that's not what they did. Instead, the speedy return sent a boat ashore with about a dozen men aboard all of them armed with muskets. The men landed, climbed ashore, jumped a nearby fence, entered a field that was full of cattle, and shot six oxen. Madness. I mean, those oxen belonged to the Malagasy king here, and he had hundreds of soldiers, maybe a couple of thousand soldiers. Those men were going to be massacred for their insolence. The Dutch captain raised his spyglass to watch the drama unfold. He did indeed see a contingent of Malagasy warriors approaching the pirates. Oh, oh, this is going to be gross. But then, then the Malagasy stopped. They waved at the pirates. They hailed them. And then they all just kind of stood around talking. The pirates handed over a big bag of silver. Everyone shook hands. The men from the Malagasy king left, and then a bunch of other people showed up to butcher the oxen and salt them, and load them eventually onto speedy return. 
The Dutch captain realized that they were, uh, awful friendly. According to a general history, quote, The Dutchmen perceiving a friendship between the natives and the pirates, seeing Bowen full of men, and hearing that two more pirates were expected, thought fit to go off in the night and leave the goods he had put on shore. End quote. He just abandoned all of the cargo that he had left there at Massaliege, probably a bunch of spices from India. But I really can't blame him. What the pirates did there was genius. You know, it's kind of like, imagine you're at the beach with your best girl, and some muscle-bound guy comes up and kicks sand in your face, calls you a pipsqueak, and then leaves with your best girl. It's kind of like that. Or, what's better, it's like that scene in Pulp Fiction, where Samuel L. Jackson eats that guy's big kahuna burger, and then, staring directly into his eyes, drinks his entire Sprite. You know, kind of saying to him, this is how it is. This is happening. What are you going to do about it? And the Dutchman ran away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Which was the smart thing to do. The people of Massaliege weren't exactly allied to the St. Mary's pirates, but they were profitable trading partners and friends after a fashion. The Dutch clearly didn't know that, so they were able to intimidate him without, you know, succumbing to violence, which would have seen everyone involved killed by the king. The pirates and the Malagasy decided it would be best to split all of that cargo that had been left on the beach, which left everybody a little bit richer and a little bit friendlier. But what the pirates were really after here at Massaliege wasn't plunder, but information. They were looking for Captain Howard and the Prosperous. We left John Bowen and the men of Speedy Return a few weeks earlier at St. Augustine Bay. A general history writes, quote, At this place, the pirates were made acquainted of the adventures of another gang that had settled for some time near that harbor and had won Howard for their captain. Bowen and his gang, consulting together on this intelligence, concluded twas more for their interest to join an alliance with this company than to act single, they being too weak of themselves to undertake any considerable enterprise. End quote. And that's interesting. 
Bowen and his men were looking for a considerable enterprise. And here, at Massaliege, they were close, just a few days behind Captain Howard. Once the cargo and the beef was loaded on the speedy return, they departed for Mayotte. And they arrived just before Christmas, 1702, and finally met with the Prosperous. The officers from the two pirate ships sat down in council, and, quote, These two powers struck up an alliance. Howard, liking the proposals, came readily into it, and the treaty was ratified by both companies, end quote. And to be honest, those two ships in particular made a very good pair. The speedy return was well-armed, but really what her strength was was her speed as, you know, the name suggests, but she was sleek and fast and could really move through the waves. The Prosperous, on the other hand, was slower, more lumbering, but very well-armed, would do well in a, an open sea battle, should it come to that, so the Return could catch and trap a ship while the Prosperous came up and bombarded a ship. They might be able to capture a really fantastic prize with their powers combined. For their first move, they decided to do nothing. They were going to stay there at Mayotte for a few months. They had a source of fresh water, they had all that fresh salted beef, and Mayotte was an excellent place to lie in wait for passing ships. Plus, the men had some coin in their pockets, and I'm sure that Mayotte was a good place to find some pleasurable company. Their supplies of beef were just beginning to run low, when a prize fell into their trap. It was an East Indiaman called the Pembroke. And I want to be clear, this was not HMS Pembroke. That was a more important ship that was currently in the Mediterranean, and we're going to be dealing with her in the not-too-distant future. This was just a merchant vessel from the EIC, also named the Pembroke. Now, the details here are scant, but the pirates boarded the Pembroke, killed the first mate and another man, and took every scrap of cargo that they could carry. It wasn't a particularly rich prize, but it was good enough, and beyond that, it was time to leave anyway. See, the real reason that the pirates decided to spend a few months there at Mayotte is because at that very moment, the pilgrimage was going on. The pilgrimage to Mecca. All of those treasure ships from the Mughal Empire were currently in the Red Sea, but at about the 1st of March, they could expect to see some ships beginning to creep back out of the Red Sea and home to India. So Speedy Return and Prosperous headed for an island called St. John's, where they would be able to see any ships that were leaving the Gulf of Aden and entering the open Indian Ocean. And their timing was impeccable here. They only had to wait for a few days before four ships sailed into view the two pirates set off in pursuit. Now, these ships were bound for Surat, on the coast of India, and they were not sailing with the main body of the treasure fleet, thanks to their cargo. See, one of the ships carried an amazingly valuable cargo of Arabian horses. Horses that were, it's worth mentioning, the personal property of the Mughal. That ship had to make it home. However, keeping the horses fed and cared for in Arabia had been expensive, so they decided to leave early 
and get them home as soon as possible. That ship was the priority, and when those four vessels saw the two pirate ships following them, they split up. Two of the ships sailed south into the open ocean, while the other two continued to the northeast, where they would go along the coast, but there would be a lot more opportunities for defense. The speedy return, the faster of the two ships, headed south. The prosperous followed the other two along the coast. Well before the end of that first day's pursuit, it was clear that the speedy return, true to her name, was going to catch up with the two ships headed south. The pirates didn't know it, but one of those ships, the smaller of the two, carried all of those extremely valuable Arabian horses. And they had a plan for this situation. See, those two ships split up again. The ship with all of the horses ran as fast as possible. The larger ship, though, played kind of a dangerous game. See, if the speedy return wanted to go capture that ship, she could do so. But the larger of the Mughal ships intended at this point to be captured. Her cargo was valuable, but less valuable than the Mughal's horses. So this ship had to make it look like she was trying to evade the pirates, while, you know, making herself a tempting target at the same time. She needed the pirates to believe that she wanted to get away, but was unable to do so. And it was successful. The speedy return set a heading directly for that larger ship, and once it was clear that there was no escape, she struck her colors and struck her sails. Captain Bowen and his pirates boarded this Mughal ship and took the crew captive. Then they sailed both their new prize and speedy return to the Malabar coast. Remember, they had contacts there, all of those friendly, crooked merchants who were happy to buy illicit cargo. And once they were in a friendly port, the pirates were free to plunder the Mughal ship at will. They found gold coins on board worth 22,000 pounds sterling, which was a pretty sizable fortune. That's not even to count the silver and other valuables on board, or the cargo, which was worth at least as much as that gold. This was quite a haul, but the real prize was the ship itself. This large Mughal ship of 700 tons carried 56 guns, with three total gun decks. Despite the heavy complement of armaments, she was sleek and fast, and she was in impeccable shape. This ship would make the most amazing pirate ship ever to terrorize the Seven Seas. John Bowen took command of his new ship, and the men dubbed her Defiant. Meanwhile, the Prosperous arrived at the Malabar coast, their intended rendezvous point. When Captain Howard set off against those other two ships, those that were hugging the coast, he wasn't able to keep up. The Prosperous just wasn't fast enough, and those Mughal ships had a pretty sizable lead. However, it was clear where they were headed. They were going to Surat. So Captain Howard allowed himself to fall behind a bit. He knew he'd get there in time. And when those two Mughal ships arrived there at Surat, apparently they just put in at the harbor and began to unload their cargo. And when Prosperous did eventually arrive, Captain Howard hid most of his men below deck, and those that 
he allowed to be seen while they were all dressed in the garb of the East India Company. They were flying an East India flag. This looked like an East India Company ship. And apparently, somehow, the crew of those two Mughal ships were actually fooled by this ruse. When the Prosperous sailed in close, the larger of those two Mughal ships didn't arm her guns or try to get out of there. No, she just let her come in. Oh, apparently, well, there's an East India Company ship. Guess we better see what she wants. But when she got in close, Prosperous opened up her ports and delivered a full broadside. As expected, the Mughal ship surrendered. Captain Howard and his men plundered the Mughal ship, which proved to be just as rich as Bowen's prize, maybe even a bit more. The ship itself, though, was not as impressive as the Defiant, and beyond that, it had been damaged in the broadside. It was pretty useless. So Howard had his pirates bore a hole into the hull and let her drift and sink. Then the Prosperous departed Surat and headed for the Malabar coast, where they were to meet with John Bowen. So everybody made some money. Everybody was successful. But here, at this point, the pirates had some decisions to make. The biggest problem was the state of their ships. Prosperous and Speedy Return were both in pretty poor shape. The Defiant, though, was in amazing shape. According to A General History of the Pirates, Volume 2, quote, Both crews went on board Bowen, sunk the Prosperous, and burnt the Speedy Return. Howard, with about twenty more, landed with what they had, and retired among the natives, where Howard married a woman of the country, and being a morose, ill-natured fellow, and using her ill, he was murdered by her relations. End quote. So Howard retired, there in Malabar, married a woman, used her ill, and was killed. And with that, Thomas Howard departs our story. John Bowen, in The Defiant, on the other hand, was nowhere near done. He had the most impressive pirate ship, maybe, that the world had ever seen. It was on a par with the fancy, or the briefly seen and never utilized Oxford of Captain Morgan. Honestly, this ship, going head-to-head -head with every other pirate ship that ever sailed, if we ignore China, they had some pretty amazing pirate ships. But, you know, compared to, say, the Queen Anne's Revenge, this ship blew it out of the water. John Bowen was going to terrorize the world. But we'll never get to tell that story. And two things happen here in pretty quick succession that make that the case. First of all, we know nearly everything we know about John Bowen thanks to one source— a man who had been pressed into service back on the speaker named Mr. Whaley. Here at Malabar, Mr. Whaley and about a dozen other men who were serving against their will jumped ship. They hid out there in town and eventually made their way to an East India Company factory where they got a return voyage to England. Now, Mr. Whaley's going to be important next time when he tells his story. But since he's not with Bowen anymore, we don't really know what he got up to after Malabar. And maybe it was awesome, but it was short-lived, as was John Bowen. 
in about six months' time, John Bowen is going to catch a pretty severe intestinal disease and die. And thus, John Bowen leaves our story. The Defiant is going to show up again in about five years' time when John Halsey comes calling, but for now, our story of the Pirates of the Round is coming to an end. But next time we've got kind of an epilogue to this whole story. You might consider it the last chapter. Next time, we're going to talk about the trial, conviction, and execution of Thomas Green for High Seas Piracy. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who helps to support the show, all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings and reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show. You all make it possible, so thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, like Grey History, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you'd like to check them out, you can find them on YouTube, Facebook, Bandcamp, or anywhere fine music is found. As always, most importantly, thank you for listening.